The Law School of America. Trover Cases in the United States. Trover is the name of the action which lay, at common law, for the recovery of damages for the conversion of personal property in his possession, usually involving chattels held in bailment. Although the old forms of action have been abolished or disappeared under modern civil procedure in the United States, the common law action for conversion still exists in fact, if not in form. Extensive case law is reviewed. A person who purchases personal property from one not authorized to sell the chattel may be held liable for the conversion of the article. This is regardless of the fact that the purchaser was honestly mistaken, or acted innocently, in good faith and without knowledge of the seller's lack of authority to make the sale. This rule also holds in cases where the purchaser takes possession of the goods, mixes them with his own property, holds them to his own use, refuses to surrender possession on demand, disposes of the goods to a third person by sale, lease or bailment or in general exercises rights of ownership as to the property purchased in denial of the real owner's rights after knowledge of the rights of the true owner. Dederick v. Olds, 1887. In the 1887 case of Dederick v. Olds, the Supreme Court of Tennessee ruled on a case of Trover. The defendant, Olds, cut 800 walnut logs, branded them with the letter D, then proceeded to float them down a river with the intention of recovering them downstream. Sometime later, Olds found an unmarked log among his other marked logs which had peculiar cracks at one end. He floated the unmarked log down the river, and it washed up on an island owned by the plaintiff, Dederick, who then claimed the log as his introver or replevin. The Tennessee court quoted the English case of Bridges v. Hawksworth where the plaintiff, being in the shop of the defendant, picked up a parcel containing banknotes. The defendant, at the request of the finder, took charge of the notes, to hold for the owner. After three years, no one had come forth to claim them. The defendant shop owner refused to deliver them to the plaintiff. The court held the defendant shop owner liable in Trover for the notes. The Tennessee Supreme Court observed it is essential in cases of Trover, that the property must be found, it must at the time when the finder came upon it, to have been in such a situation as to clearly indicate that it was lost. It cannot have been placed there by the original owner who lost it by carelessness or forgetfulness, where it was later found by someone else. In such cases, the owner of the premises where the property is found is treated as a quasi-bailey, i.e. he holds the property for the original owner, and he may maintain trover against the finder. Since the log was not intentionally laid by the unknown owner on the land of the plaintiff, Dederick, and hence he was not a quasi-bailey for the owner, he cannot hold against the superior right of the defendant, holds, arising out of his prior possession and earlier finding of the log. Judgment for ownership of the log was to the defendant Olds. Barry v. Jackson 1902. In the Georgia case of Barry v. Jackson, 1902, recovery of property converted may be allowed in an action of Trover where such is statutorily defined. Mitchell v. Georgia and A. Our company. In the case of Mitchell v. Georgia and A. Our company it was noted that where action in Trover is allowed by statute, and defined by such, it necessarily includes all three actions of Trover, detinue and replevin. Abraham Lincoln's case of Trover, Johnson v. Weedman, 1843. The 1843 Illinois case of Johnson v. Weedman was argued by a young Abraham Lincoln. The case was somewhat similar to the case of Fouds v. Willoughby, 1841, which had been decided two years earlier. It may have been taken as precedent in this present case. See Supra. A horse had been left in bailment for proper care. The bailey who was in possession of the horse rode it for 15 miles. There was no demonstrable damage to the horse. Lincoln convinced the court that there could be no action for damages. There was not enough evidence for the bailey to be held liable for a conversion, or for an action in Trover. There had been no significant invasion of the owner's rights. The Illinois court agreed, and Lincoln won the day. 
typical case patterns of conversion in modern quasi-trover. Zoslow v. Kronert, California, 1946. In Zoslow v. Kronert, 1946, the California Supreme Court decided the case of quasi-trover with the following facts. Plaintiff Zoslow and defendant Kronert owned a house as tenants in common. A dispute arose over the ownership of the house. The defendant and her agent entered the house and changed the locks. They placed Zoslow's property in storage. Zoslow was notified of the placement of his property in storage and its location. Plaintiff Zoslow sued and prevailed in an action of conversion. The California Supreme Court ruled that merely placing furniture in storage was not a conversion. There was no evidence that any damage had occurred to the furniture in storage. The case was remanded to the trial court to determine damages caused by the ouster and trespass of the personal property. Electric Power Company v. Mayor of New York, 1899. In Electric Power Company v. Mayor of New York, 1899, the same fact pattern as in Zoslow v. Kronert, Supra, was encountered. Here, the furniture was placed in a warehouse at a distance so the plaintiff was subject to substantial inconvenience and expense in recovering. This was ruled to be a conversion. The case was similar to an 1816 British case, Forsdick v. Collins. Hicks Rubber Company Distributors v. Stacy, Texas, 1939. In the 1939 Texas case, the court encountered the same facts as in Zoslow v. Kroner, except the defendant stored the furniture in his own name with the intent to keep it for himself. This was ruled to be a conversion. McCurdy v. Walblum Furniture and Carpet Company, Minnesota, 1905. In McCurdy v. Walblum Furniture and Carpet Company, 1905, the Minnesota court encountered the same fact pattern as in Zoslow v. Kroner, except that while the furniture was in the warehouse, and before the plaintiff could remove it, it was destroyed by a fire. This was ruled to be a conversion. Borg and Powers Furniture Company v. Riling, Minnesota, 1943. In Borg and Powers Furniture Company, 1943, a fact pattern similar to Zoslow v. Kronert existed, except the defendant did not notify the plaintiff. This was ruled to be a conversion. Criminal Trover. The Penal Code of the State of Connecticut contains the offense of criminal trover in the first or second degree. It involves unauthorized use of a vehicle or other property of another person. English Case Law and Trover. Two sub-bailey cases, Intermediate Bailey. During the reign of Edward IV of England, there were two cases indicating that there was a remedy for damage done by an intermediate bailey, sub-bailey. In 1473, the weight of opinion of the judges allowed an action for damages due to the use of a sub-bailey. In this case the plaintiff had made a bailment to the defendant to keep goods for him. The defendant's bailey had used and damaged them, this action was thought to be similar to trespass, since the baileys had no right to the use of the chattels, but it was not a trespass since there was no interference with the chattels while they were in the possession of the plaintiff nor was there detinue, since there was no lawful detention. In 1479, the remedy was extended to cover the destruction of the chattel by the possessor. The court allowed the action arising out of a bailment of a box containing some silver fixtures. It was alleged that the box had been broken open and the silver converted. The plaintiff could not recover the thing bailed, because it was destroyed. This was the first known case in which the words, converted to his own use, Latin, convert a sun eps, were used. Judge Bryan said, and I take it for clear law that he could not have action on the case if he can recover the thing himself. Notice the similarity to the fact pattern seen in cases of breaking the bail. Statham, Action Surlacas, 1433. This is a fragmentary case from Henry VI of England which indicates that there were sacks of flour left by the plaintiff to be stored and cared for by the defendant. The plaintiff had paid the defendant for this arrangement. The sacks of flour had been carried off by a third party. Counsel for the defense argued that action on the case did not lie, because detinue lay. 
Judge Priceado pined it was an action on the case. An action similar to Trover was allowed. Keel. 160, PL.2-1510. In 1510 the judges held that a Bailey had misdemeaned himself where he had possession of a chattel and wrongfully sold the same to a stranger. An action on the case lay. Similar results are seen. Year Book 7, Henry VI, 1428. One of the difficulties in extending action on the case further than a supplementary remedy to detinue lay in the unwillingness of the judges before 1585 to uphold an action on a new writ where a remedy already existed, such as in detinue. In the 15th century some overlapping between the forms of debt, detinue, account and trespass have been recognized. Judge Paston said in 1428, that it was a bad argument that a writ of debt could not lie where trespass did, because for the same thing one may have a writ of account and a writ of debt. Isaac v. Clark, 1614. In the case Isaac v. Clark, 1614, it was laid down that a bailer could not maintain trover or detinue where he had pledged the goods, because the wrong was an offense against the possession of the bailey. Manders v. Williams 1849. This principle of Isaac v. Clark was extended in Manders v. Williams, 1849, where the court found that a bailey had availment for a period of time, and not merely at the will of the bailer. In other words, there had to be an agreement, similar to a contractual arrangement. Mulgrave v. Ogden 1591. Case involved 20 barrels of butter found and taken into the custody of the defendant. Plaintiff alleged the defendant's negligence had left the butter in a ruined condition. The court found that the loss arising from the negligence of an accidental finder was not allowed to constitute a cause of action, for no law compelleth him that finds a thing to keep it safely, as if a man finds a garment and suffers it to be moth-eaten. It would be otherwise if there had been a misuse. Eason v. Newman 1595. In Eason v. Newman, 1595, a finder of a chattel was held liable on the ground that he had wrongfully refused to return it to the true owner. There was some judicial opposition to this ruling. It was criticized and precedent was not followed. Case of the Chancellor of Oxford 1614. In the case of the Chancellor of Oxford, 1614, a wrongful refusal to return a chattel was found to be evidence of a conversion. Holdsworth's Case 1638. In Holdsworth's Case Clay. 1638, an attempt to bring an action in Trover for the wrongful detention of chattels by a bailey failed, because the action sounded in detinue and not Trover. Strafford v. Pell 1650. In Strafford v. Pell Clayt, 1650, a similar action in Trover is in Holdsworth's case failed against a carrier of chattels for this was a declaration of a Trover, and supposeth a losing of goods, where the carrier hath them by delivery. Neither of these actions had anything to differentiate them from the old action of Detinu, because both were based on a nonfeasance, before the character of conversion had been adequately realized. Sykes v. Walls 1675. In Sykes v. Walls, 1675, a claim of wrongful detention by a bailey was upheld as a good claim on the ground that a refusal to deliver up constituted a misfeasance. By this case, Trover became virtually concurrent with Detinu. When a chattel had been found, and there was a subsequent refusal to deliver it to the owner, it was taken as evidence that a conversion had occurred. Trover was a wrong against the right of possession and not against the possession itself, because possession was prima facie in the wrongdoer. Even when Trover was allowed to overlap trespass and replevin, which were concerned with possession, it remained necessary to define conversion, and this extension did not really affect the definition. Conversion became any act on the part of the defendant inconsistent with the plaintiff's right to possession. This right had parts, it had to be, 1, absolute and, 2, immediate. 
the medieval conception of wrongs to chattels was based upon a physical interference with possession. This was inherent in an age when keeping the peace was the primary concern of law, and a right of a third party was foreign to it. Originally, Trover was based on an infringement of possession other than trespass. All that was necessary for the medieval judge to decide the case was to determine who had the better right to claim a chattel, not necessarily the best right. Armory v. Delamere 1722. Armory v. Delamere, 1722, is a case which is frequently cited in United States tort law texts as the primary illustration of action in Trover. A chimney sweep found a jewel while cleaning a chimney. He took it to a jeweler for evaluation. The jeweler removed the stone from the setting, with the intention of selling it to a third party. The chimney sweep was entitled to recover damages from the loss of the jewel. The case illustrates several pertinent issues with Trover. First, the chimney sweep was not the primary owner of the jewel. Since the original owner could not be identified, the chimney sweep was the best owner. He had superior rights to the stone over the jeweler. The actions of the jeweler constituted a conversion. The possession by the chimney sweep was prima facie proof of ownership. A similar result was seen in Jeffreys v. Great Western Rye, 1856. Doc Ray v. Dickinson 1697. In Doc Ray v. Dickinson, 1697, it was held that where the facts indicated a conversion of a ship and cargo that the plaintiff was entitled to interest in one-sixteenth of the value of the property. It was noted that one partner could not bring an action in Trover against another partner. The plaintiff was not entitled to damages for the whole ship and cargo which was converted, but only the percentage which he owned. This was one-sixteenth. Selling the ship and cargo was a different situation than one where the ship was converted and subsequently destroyed. If a joint owner of a cargo ship sell the ship and cargo with the consent of the other joint owners, there is a severance of tenancy, and upon delivery, a severance of property. The buyer may bring action in Trover. If one of the partners forcibly takes the ship, and it is subsequently lost in a storm in the West Indies, it is considered a destruction of the ship. Action in Trover can be allowed. Blainfield v. March 1702. Blainfield v. March, 1702, allowed a plea in defense to Trover brought by an administrator based on his own possession, that there was a will and an executor, whose claim would take priority to that of an administrator. Cooper v. Chitty 1756. In this case, Lord Mansfield stated, two things are necessary to be proved to entitle the plaintiff to recover in this kind of action, Trover, first the property, in general, ownership, in the plaintiff, and secondly, a wrongful conversion by the defendant. Richards v. Jenkins 1886. A bankrupt plaintiff may be met by the plea that his trustee in bankruptcy has a real title. Nevertheless, the right of a third party would not be a protection against an action for an interference with the actual possession, because this would be a trespass, and Trover would be a substitute for trespass. The action decided the better claim to ownership, and not the final question of ownership. It was a decision of immediate ownership, and not final ownership. Gordon v. Harper 1796. Judge Asher said that, in order to maintain Trover the plaintiff must have a right of property in the thing, ownership, and a right of possession, and unless both these rights concur, the action, of Trover, will not lie. Trover was not a strictly proprietary remedy. Bishop v. Viscountess Montague 1601. In the case of Bishop v. Viscountess Montague, 1601, the opinion was offered that the plaintiff could elect between action in Trover and action in trespass as a remedy for wrongful taking. Keniston v. Moore 1627. In this case, the judges allowed action to be brought in Trover where there had been a wrongful taking of a chattel. For the losing is but a surmise and not material, for the defendant may take it in the presence of the plaintiff. Compare with the dictum of Lord Mansfield and Cooper v. Chitty, 
although he take it as a trespass yet the other may charge him in an action upon the case of Trover. The choice is left to the plaintiff to choose action in Trover or action in trespass. Hodges v. Sampson 1662. In this case, it was said that action in Trover was in the nature of a trespass and where goods were taken, it was in the election of the party, plaintiff, whether to bring action in trespass or Trover. This rule was followed in a long line of cases into the 19th century. Myers v. Salabay 1677. The opinion in this case was that mere damage to a chattel was not a good claim in Trover. Bushel v. Miller 1718. Aspertation of the chattel, illegally transporting the chattel, which was followed by the loss of a chattel, was held not to support an action in Trover. Fouds v. Willoughby 1841. In the 1841 case of Fouds v. Willoughby, 1841, a ferryman was sued for conversion by the owner of two horses which he had put on board to be carried across a river. The ferryman subsequently refused to carry them, and when the owner declined to take them back on shore, the ferryman turned them loose on the landing place. The owner remained aboard the ferry. He made no attempt to retrieve his horses, which were subsequently lost to him. It was argued that this was an interference with the possession of the horses, and would be a trespass. It was a mere aspertation without any conversion or interference with rights of ownership, since the action in putting the horses ashore had recognized the right owner. Consequently, the court held that Trover was not an appropriate remedy. This was a signal case which brought into sharp distinction the alternate theories of trespass and Trover. Trespass was the appropriate action, but it was not a conversion. This case was decided two years before the case of Johnson v. Weedman in which Abraham Lincoln successfully argued that a bailey who rode a horse for 15 miles had not incurred enough damage to invoke an action in Trover. This case was likely a precedent to Johnson v. Weedman. Tinkler v. Poole 1770. In Tinker v. Poole, 1770, Lord Mansfield overcame the technical objections, traditionally held, that a distress, holding of a chattel to induce an action from the owner, was not a disposition of goods, and that Trover could be an alternative to Replevin. This was a controversial opinion at the time, and was not necessarily viewed as legitimate stare decisis. Shipwick v. Blanchard 1795. The ruling and opinion of Lord Mansfield became permanent law with this case. Action in Trover could be an alternative to Replevin. English cases of Trover applied to trusts. XPPs. There are a few English cases where Trover was applied to trusts. These are rare. In XPPs a person who had received a bill of exchange for collection, an endorsee for collection, refused to return the bill to the person who had passed it to him, the endorser. The substitution of Trover for equiatable remedy allowed in this case was anomalous. Tancred v. Allgood 1859. Since an action in Trover depended upon the title to immediate possession, the action could not be brought if the owner was not entitled to such possession because he had hired out a chattel for a fixed period. Ownership of the chattel was recognized in other instances, such as transfer at death. The basis of liability was permanent injury to the reversion, that is the right to receive the chattel unimpaired at some future date. The principle was mentioned in Tancred, but not applied because of the fact pattern of the case. It was finally established a few years later. Mears v. L. and S. W. Rye 1862. As it developed, the wrong might arise from injury caused either by negligence or by an act of trespass or conversion. The Law School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America.